0: Jen Cooper the Keeper here ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast sponsored by IcarusFC.com. This is podcast number 288. With that number we'll give a shout out to Carly Lloyd. She finished 2019 with a cap total of 288. During last year, she passed Abby Wambach, Julie Foudy, and Mia Hamm on the all-time U.S. cap list to take third place behind Christy Rampone and Christine Lilly. Right now, Carly Lloyd has 294 caps following the completion of the She Believes Cup. The only active player with more is Christine Sinclair with 296. Alright, so two chats today. First, I had a fun chat with Kay Bradley, Director of Brand and Fan Experience for U.S. Soccer. She played at Amherst back in the day, joined U.S. Soccer in 2016 after starting her career in marketing and getting her MBA. We talked about her work developing more fan engagement opportunities for U.S. Soccer fans and also the She Believes virtual network that will be offering special content next week. You can access the network via ussoccer.com. Also talk to her a little bit about uh, the ticker tape parade last summer and some of her other favorite women's soccer memories. And then for the hardcore nostalgia segment of the podcast, I had a chat with Omid Namazi, who is currently assistant coach for the Houston Dynamo, but he coached the San Diego Spirit uh, for the 2003 season of WSA and also the Chicago Red Stars in 2010. So he coached some really big names that you'll recognize. He had some fun stories. So I hope you will enjoy that chat. And in between the two segments, of course, is the Gensplaining segment. This week, I talk about the details surrounding Youth World Cups, or specifically Youth Women's World Cups. So, enjoy. All right, Jen Cooper, The Keeper here with Kay Bradley, Director of Brand and and fan experience of u s soccer did I get that right, Kay you did good morning awesome, awesome. Well, tell me how you ended up working at u s soccer and and what your role does because i I always like to talk to people behind the scenes right like there's so many interesting jobs in sports and in soccer specifically, and I always wonder it 's like how did that person get there?
1: yeah, absolutely so i um, I started playing soccer um, when I was pretty young. Um, and played all through high school and college, um, and then I coached a little actually after I graduated from college, because i didn 't want to quite give up the dream, even though um, I wasn't uh, skilled enough to play professionally. So I coached for a little while, and I was the assistant athletic director uh, at a private school in my ho- near my hometown. Um, to stay connected to the sport, um, but then um, I actually moved into and took a marketing uh, and brand strategy role within an advertising agency, um, and that's where I began um, my professional career um, in in strategy, um, advertising, and marketing, and um, so I, I stayed connected a little bit to soccer. I played recreationally, but um, got a little bit away from the sport, um, as I um, progressed throughout my career and then this opportunity at U.S. Soccer came up where I was able to marry my love for sports and for soccer um, but also my experience um, in marketing and marry the two together and it seemed like uh, uh, the best of both worlds and so now I've been at U.S. Soccer uh, in brand for the last four years.
0: Now, what does your role specifically entail? Um, I'm guessing it's like not only the fan experience at games, but beyond games.
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, my role is really to drive and grow the U.S. soccer brand. So I focus primarily on um, growing the brand from um, the U.S. Soccer Federation perspective, but um, specifically our men's and women's national teams. Um, and, um, and it's everything, it's everything from how do we communicate what, what we believe and what we stand for as a brand. And, um, how do we create really unique experiences for our fans, um, that are going to make soccer even more engaging, are going to make people want to connect with the sport, want to be a part of it, um, and allow our fans to connect with our teams and our players and each other as well. And
0: so you had a pretty big 2019 Uh, Lots on your plate, I would imagine. (laughs) Uh, So talk about some of the projects that you had before the Women's World Cup and then after.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Women's World Cup, as you mentioned, was an incredible year for us. Um and um it was it was a big year from the marketing perspective um for us to be able to showcase and highlight um our incredible women's national team. Uh but also we launched a new website, we launched a new fan program called Insiders, um, we had new kit launches, so it was a it was an action-packed year in addition to uh the tournament itself. Um and so our role was to ensure that we were allowing people to stay engaged with the team. Uh, to learn about the players and learn about their journeys um, and to um, follow along the entire way um, from everything from, Uh, We kicked off with She Believes tournament um, earlier in the year, and then we rolled right into our send-off series, Um, then the tournament itself, and then luckily, based on their success, uh, the victory tour when they came home. So it was, uh, while the focus was obviously the World Cup moment, uh, there was a lot surrounding it in the lead up to, and then um, following after, where we actually had our biggest uh, friendly sellout game um, for the women's national team, which was incredible.
0: Yeah, that game at the Rose Bowl uh, against Ireland, I mean, I'm assuming you were there. What, what, what was it like to, to know that, hey, we're back on the same field where in a way this all started in 1999?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible, right? When you think about, um, what, you know, where the program has come, where it started, um, all of the incredible women who were there at the beginning and now, um, all of the women they've inspired and now the, that what they've been able to accomplish and now all the things that this team is doing to inspire the next generation. Um, it's just really powerful to think about how that, um, kind of um, a circle of inspiration continues to, to move on and roll on um, to empower women to do incredible things. So being in the stadium with all of the energy and seeing this, this, you know, the level of competition on the field, um, but also the response from the fans um, and, and how much they're moved by our players and the team. Um, it's powerful stuff and it's exciting to be a part of.
0: What are some of your favorite memories of, of last year?
1: Well, I have to say, well, the whole thing was a roller coaster, and it was exciting and wonderful um, and exhausting all at the same time. (laughs) Um, Because if you think about it, we were, you know, while we were working around the clock, I was here in the U.S. during the tournament. So we were working here um, to ensure that um, we were... Delivering fan engagement opportunity opportunities here in the United States, but also supporting um, the team abroad. So it was pretty much a, a 24 hour round the clock job when uh, people were going to sleep here, uh, the folks in France were, <laughs> were working and well underway. So we were supporting them um, well into the middle of the night. So it was, it was a whirlwind, but an exciting time. And I think that there were really, you know, two moments for me that were particularly special. Uh, The first was being at the viewing party here in Chicago, um, where it was just amazing to see how many people came out in support of the women's national team. And again, the, the energy, the passion of the fans. Um, up in Lincoln Park, uh, and to see that win um, was just, it was memorable. It was something like I had never experienced before. And then um, that we didn't really take a beat from that night. Uh, we all got on the plane and, and flew to New York, um, where we put together, helped put together the parade. Um, so went from one celebration to the next. And um, I have certainly never been um, in a parade of, of that magnitude. And just to see You know, all the people who came out to see all the faces of the young girls and even the young boys uh, who are so inspired and captivated by our women's national team players uh, that that those moments are, are something that will be with me forever.
0: And when did you get to rest? (laughs)
1: <laughs> um what's the date? <laughs> um no it was it was definitely um an exciting time for us and um and while it while I, as i said while it was exhausting um it was it was unique in once in a lifetime and something that not many people get to experience and i'm i'm glad that in some small way i was a part of it.
0: So talk about moving into 2020, um, you know, another She Believes tournament. And, you know, originally we had the Olympics on the calendar. And of course, that's that's been postponed. So, you know, you guys have had to come up with a lot new programming
1: yeah I mean, I think so, as we were we were lucky enough, I will say um that before covid nineteen we were able to um launch the twenty twenty she believes campaign, which kicked off in january um uh, where we we started our search for this year's she believes hero. Um, and then that rolled right into the She Believes Cup, um, which was a, another incredible event um, and continues to grow year after year, uh, which is great to see how far that's come since 2015. Um, so so once, obviously, that COVID happened and um, the Olympics got canceled um, and some of our She's believes programming uh, that was supposed to take place after the cup uh, was also postponed uh, we 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 took a hard look at you know what is what's the right thing to do here what should how should we move forward as it relates to she believes and we felt like Um, It was important for us to keep this mission um, and keep this campaign alive, even um, though we don't have events happening and we can't do um, any of the in-person programming that we had slated for the spring and summer, um, just to to take a little bit of a step back and how we think about She Believes you know, She Believes is a campaign that's designed to empower women and girls to achieve their dreams. Um, and while it's focused on soccer and taking inspiration from our women's national team players, uh, it's connected to sport, but it's really so much bigger than that. And and hoping to provide for any um, young women and girls who are trying to accomplish something, the inspiration, the motivation, the network and camaraderie um, and also the tools to achieve those goals. And so when we thought about um, this time period, uh, and there's a, a task force of us at US soccer who lead this program and as we were thinking about it, um, it made sense for us to see how could we continue um, with the program, albeit in a different way to continue to bring those things to young young women in a time when they probably need it more than ever. If you think about the circumstance of a lot of young professionals right now um, who are either working remotely or have lost their internships and their jobs or college mm-hmm. students who don't have the, the camaraderie or the network of being around their peers, um, we felt like more than ever that this content, um, these messages would resonate and be really important for, for women and, and others right now. Um so we've uh we have uh, pivoted a little bit from where we thought we'd be this time of year um but we have put together a week long um virtual she Believes program um that will kick off on Monday um and we're excited to roll it out.
0: And most of it is free or is it all free? I I've seen a couple things have limits on how many people can register but it does look like a really broad um broad spectrum of of Topics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a week long of um, webinars and panel discussions and workshops. All of it is virtual. Um, and the majority of it is free. I would say 95% of it is free. We do have one experience that's for our um, fan insiders um, who are subscribers to our fan program. But other than that, everything is accessible and free um, and you can register through our website. Um, And it's everything from uh, talking to... Uh, world championship athletes about how they overcome adversity, um, to working with, um, our thought leader in, um, career development, um, and confidence and talking about ways that you can build confidence, um, to how do you stay focused on your career goals during a time like this? So, um, a really broad range of programming, but all of it's designed, um, to ensure that Um, people stay focused on their goals during this time, uh, that they think about ways, you know, if if they are facing setbacks, ways that they can overcome those setbacks um, and um, to provide them with really tangible tools that can help them move forward, which if you think about sports and you think about soccer, those are the types of things that our athletes face every day Um, and they're faced with challenges and they have to step up and overcome and, and stay positive and stay hopeful and optimistic um, and succeed, and our women's national team is a great example of that. So we're excited to be able to bring this programming to bear next week.
0: And I'm assuming you're in charge of making sure that all the technology behind this all works.
1: <laughs> Luckily, that is not my uh, area of expertise. But um, it, ha- you know, it is really incredible what what we're able to achieve and accomplish remotely. Um, and I think everyone's been um, so great and willing to adapt from an in-person format to bringing these messages online. And I'm sure it will not be without um, some hiccups along <laughs> the way, but that will play into our theme of overcoming challenges and diversity of and getting through things together. So, um, you know, I think it's, we're really excited just to bring a lot of strong, powerful, accomplished women together during this time, um, have them talk about their experiences and and hopefully inspire, um, you know, women out there to just, just keep moving forward, keep their head up and give them some tools. Um, and I think that's part of this program that we really love is that a piece of it is inspiration, but another aspect of it is really tangible tools that people can walk away with, um, things that they can go do, you know, this afternoon or tomorrow um, that will help them get a little bit closer to reaching whatever their dream is um, and if it's that's in soccer that's great um, but if it's outside of sports the tools will be applicable as well
0: well that's why I like looking at the description of, of the different sessions it looks pretty broad that there's kind of something for everyone and that it doesn't seem to be girl specific or woman specific. Even that it's it's like there really is, I think, content for anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when we um, some of the programming and in particular the build your confidence workshop, things like that, will tap into some of the common themes and situations that women right, experience right, that course. might be um, unique to them. But yeah, the messages of building confidence of leadership. Um, of overcoming, you know, challenges and, and, you know, adversity. That's all, those are all common themes that I think anyone can relate to. Um, so absolutely, it's it's universal. Um, and we think it will be really helpful. And we just, we love the idea of being you know, able to build community. I think what we hear in this time is that, um, you know, it's, it's hard when people are remote and socially distanced to stay and feel connected to others. And this provides us an avenue to do so, even though we're not technically on the field together um, and in the stadium with our fans, um, it provides a community uh, digitally. And that's really exciting.
0: Well, and, and moving forward from this, where we don't know when live matches will be able to return. I mean, I, I'm assuming that's something that you and your team are focusing on, like, how do we keep fan engagement going?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what we hear from fans is they want to stay connected to um, the sport. They want to stay connected to U.S. soccer. They want to stay connected to the national teams, and they want to still feel that connection to the players. So um, to the extent that we can provide that in a digital manner, um, we're, looking, we're, we're looking to do. Um, and, yeah, I, think, I I think the reality of what the future will hold is that it will be a lot more digital, um, in every respect, regardless of, of how the outcome, when and where we get back on the field. Um, will I think people will be more digitally savvy, more able to connect um, via virtual platforms. So when we think about the Shibuya's virtual network, uh, it allows us to experiment with some things um, to find out what works, what people like and what people don't, um, so that even when we move forward and we do get back to the field, um, we will be a lot smarter with how we can use the digital capabilities uh, to connect with people in more meaningful ways.
0: Well, and since I don't see your name on the list as a presenter, then I get to ask you this question. What would be, what would be your advice, uh, you know, to, to young people, young women specifically that, that want to get into soccer as a job, you know, not as a coach or a player, but behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the things I was not really aware of um, after when I was a senior in college, um, I thought I had two choices. I thought I could play. Well, I didn't have the choice to play professionally, but I thought there were two paths, one um, to play professionally or to coach. Um, And while those are great paths, not all of us have the skills to play after college or um, beyond um, recreational. Um, and, I, and I coached for a little bit, but, um, realized that, that, that role wasn't exactly for me. Um, and so I left the sport. Um, I, my message, I think to those, uh, especially young women out there who, um, have played soccer and, and don't want to go down either of those avenues is that there are a lot of different ways to stay active and involved in the sport from a professional capacity. Um, one of the things that we're actually working on right now is putting together um, a career profiles document that shows all of the different ways. Um, that people can stay in the sport from uh, the medical field to marketing like me to technology and event operations. There are just so many different facets. So you can take a skill set or a passion of yours that's not connected necessarily to soccer and connect that back to the sport so you can have the best of both worlds. And that's one of the things that that serendipitously worked out for me, that I was able to go build a skill set in an area that I was interested in in consumer art, insights brand strategy marketing and then bring that back to soccer um but i think uh, to all the young women out there to know that those roles exist um upfront and then um work towards building a skill set in an area that you're either passionate about or you're really good at and then bring that gift back to the sport. Um, So I think that that that's one piece of advice. And then the other piece of advice I would say is just to keep your head up during these times. I think that'll be a common theme throughout a lot of the messaging that you'll hear next week is that um, it's easy to get tunnel vision in these times that feel really challenging, um, but to use this, this quote-unquote downtime um, to build up a skill set or to, you know, improve your, your resume or your personal brand or whatever it is to try something new um, so that once you come out of this thing, you're even better and stronger on the other side and can hit the ground running um, when, when things get back to quote-unquote the new, the new normal.
0: Well, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk about She Believes and all your work. And thanks for all the great work that you did in 2019.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And um, if anyone is interested uh, in signing up for any of the workshops or the panel discussions, you can access the She Believes virtual network registration through um, USdocker.com.
0: Time for a little planning. Today's topic, Youth World Cups. Youth Women's World Cups are intended to give more experience to developing players and they allow federations to develop feeder systems for their senior national teams. These World Cups are held every two years instead of every four since they have age restrictions. Generally, the men's youth tournaments are held during odd years and the women's tourneys during even years. But, of course, the two Youth Women's World Cups that were set for this year have been postponed till 2021. The very first Youth Women's World Cup, uh, at the time called the Youth Championship, but now it's referred to as a Women's World Cup, was in 2002, and it was a U19 event. This meant that the tournament was open only to players who were younger than 19 on January 1st of that year. Canada hosted the inaugural tournament and they made it all the way to the final, losing on a golden goal to the USA. A few videos from that tournament are available on YouTube, and there are definitely a few players you'll recognize, like Heather O'Reilly, Christine Sinclair, Ashlyn Harris, a 16-year-old Ashlyn Harris starting in goal for the USA, and even Marta. Beginning in 2006, the tournament became a U-20 event as FIFA decided to add a U-17 Women's World Cup a few years later. So every even year since 2008, there has been both a U-17 and a U-20 Women's World Cup. The U.S. has won the U-20 tournament three times in 2002 in 2008, with players like Alex Morgan, Sydney LaRue, and Alyssa Nair on the roster. And in 2012, uh, with the team captained by Julie Ertz, featuring Sam Mewis, Crystal Dunn, Morgan Bryan, Kaylee High. But the team has never won, the USA rather, has never won the U-17 Women's World Cup. Former NWSL coach Laura Harvey, she's the current U-20 coach for the USA, and she led her team to the CONCACAF title earlier this year. So, of course, they qualified for the U-20 Women's World Cup. But she will have to wait until 2021 to see if she can lead the team to a world title. If you want to find out more about the U-17 and U-20 Women's World Cups, both past and present. Check out fifa.com. They even have technical reports with stats and photos uh, for each year that you can download in PDF. All right, Jen Cooper here with Amid Namazi, who's currently assistant coach for the Houston Dynamo in MLS. But the reason I'm talking to Amid today is because back in the day he was head coach of the San Diego Spirit and WSA and also head coach of Chicago Red Stars during the WPS era. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to to walk down memory
2: lane with me today sure it's a pleasure thanks for having me
0: so when i was looking at your coaching resume i was stunned just like you've done it all men's women's club country uh so you many know u20 <laughs> indoor uh futsal uh yeah. so so first question of those what do you like most uh, indoor futsal or outdoor soccer or it doesn't matter
2: No, I mean, uh, I can be honest and say outdoor soccer is my first love. Um, But indoor soccer uh, has a place in my heart because I I think that's, I mean, not that I think, I know, that's where I started my coaching career. And the indoor game actually taught me a lot that I put to use even coaching outdoors. So uh, as far as what's my favorite, obviously, it's outdoor soccer.
0: But I like that point about indoor soccer uh, helping your career. It, it makes me think of current U.S. Women's head coach Vladko Andonovski, who kind of had the same same yeah. start.
2: Yeah, Vlatko, uh, I remember him as a player when when I coached in the in the league, and you know he was a he was a pretty good player, very cerebral, and uh, I'm not surprised he's become a pretty good coach. Um, so. I think the, uh, the women's team is in good hands. So what
0: led you to that first women's soccer coaching gig, uh, WSA was the third season of WSA. You were hired to be head coach of the San Diego spirit. Now you had been playing up to that point. Was that your first offer as a, as
2: a head coach? No, I was player coach in Philadelphia for the mm-hmm. team, and um, we had just finished the season where we actually won the championship in that league. And um, we started out the following season, and I had been working without a contract. There was a dispute with the owner as far as my uh, the financial terms of the uh, of the contract, and we couldn't come to an agreement after I had just won the championship. Uh, the owner actually wanted me to take a pay cut because the league was, you know, bleeding money and uh-huh. uh, they, they were in, you know, in, in jeopardy of maybe even losing the franchise. So it was hard for me to take that. And at the same time, uh, back in those days, Philadelphia Charge still existed. Uh, and, you know, the uh, general manager was a guy by the name of Tim Murphy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and Tim Murphy uh, had known me through the soccer uh, circles in New Jersey. And one day he said, hey, do you ever have an aspiration of coaching outdoors? And I said, yeah, if the opportunity presented itself. He says, well, I, I tell you what, San Diego Spirit are looking for a head coach. And uh, I'm very friendly with their general manager, Kevin Crow." Um. So he connected the two of us. I spoke to Kevin Crow uh, a couple of times over the phone. Then he invited me over to San Diego for for a formal interview, which uh, I went. And then um, that's sort of how it started. I had to take an aptitude test to see how you know, because it was it would be the, it would have been the first time I worked with women. Mm-hmm. So I actually went down to Atlanta. I'll never forget and took this test. It was a one day trip. Took this test, and I think I. I passed with uh, with good with a good grade, so then they offered me a, the job, and um, it was a hard decision to leave Philadelphia. I got married in Philadelphia. My kids were there. Uh, I, my first one was just born, and we had just bought a house. I remember. Wow. Two months later, this offer came about, but I thought it was a good career move for me. So we picked up we picked up and left for San Diego.
0: Now the aptitude test who who administered that was it like a coaching was, licensing test or a working with women test what what was that about no,
2: It was more like uh, yeah it was not a coaching thing it was more like they they wanted to see if you had the uh, I guess the, uh, the 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 psyche or if you could deal with women uh, interesting and, and, their, and their psyche so uh, there was a lot of questions I can't remember exactly what the details were but uh, whatever it was, I did well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so you inherited a team with a lot of talent, um, including four national team stars. Um, but they hadn't been to the playoffs and, and you, you took them to the playoffs for the first time in club history, but what was that environment like for you as, you know, a head coach without, Without having to be a player, coaching women for the first time, and you know, and getting to coach you know people who have already won a World Cup.
2: Yeah, it, it wasn't easy. I remember one of the first things I, I did. Well, the very first thing I did is I uh, went back to the to the prior year and looked at all their game tapes and sort of came to a conclusion as to what uh, needed to be done as far as personnel on the team. Uh, and I realized that we had a lot of very similar players, uh, smaller, more technical players that played mostly center midfield. We lacked a little bit of physicality, maybe a little bit of speed in the team, you know, overall speed I'm talking about team speed. Um, so I, I went about trying to find those players and trying to make moves that we can, you know, sort of get some players that. Had those characteristics that were missing on the team, but the first thing I did is I uh, met with uh, with Julie Fowdy, Joy Fawcett, and Shannon McMillan on an individual basis, and I sort of kind of uh, picked their brain as to what they thought, what were the issues, and how this team with so much talent wasn't wasn't making the playoffs, and I got a good good sense of what needed to be done uh, they were very forthcoming and honest about what they thought and together I think um, you know with with what I had seen myself on the game tapes uh, I developed a philosophy as to what needed to be done for this team to be successful so uh, through the draft and some deals that we made that we we were able to uh, correct some of the issues and I think we were a better team Um Uh, We we brought in Julie Fleeting, I remember. Uh, Mm -hmm. Christine Latham uh, was a huge part of that season being a success. She brought the physicality that we needed, the goal-scoring punch that was lacking. Uh, We drafted Ali Wagner, who uh, at that time was probably uh, the best attacking midfielder in the country. He was playing on the national team. Um, And then Daniela, uh, the Brazilian holding midfielder, was another piece that Provided us with some grit in the middle of the field. Uh, she was hard. She was a ball winner in there. And that's sort of what I thought was lacking a little bit in there too. So all in all, I thought we put a good group together. We were very thin. You know, our bench wasn't very deep. But luckily, we we stayed pretty healthy throughout the year. And, you know, we had a good run. So, you know, uh, and I thought we, you know, we deserved to win even that semifinal against uh, – I think it was at Atlanta
0: Atlanta and that that uh, one yeah. came down to a golden
2: goal and that was yeah, that was the very yeah, last year of golden goal Yeah and we were winning one nothing until the last minute of the game and they, right. they equalized it and then they beat us in overtime so um kind of came up short there but I thought overall it was a very good successful season
0: What are a, a few of your favorite memories from from that season
2: favorite memory <laughs> <laughs> or just an interesting memory that like... No, an interesting one i i always uh recount this story i uh i got there and i think it was uh, still very early in the season and remember i had just finished playing so i was in pretty good shape i could still run around and so from time to time, I would get involved in training sessions as an extra player or a neutral player or whatever the case may be. And we had uh, Allie Sullivan on the team. I don't know if you remember Allie Sullivan. She was at the time probably the fastest girl uh, in the, in women's soccer. She was pretty quick. So I'm playing in in, in one training session and she uh, comes straight at me one-on-one and she tries to push the ball past me. And um and I knew if I didn't do this, she would just blow past me. So I slid and tackled. And it was one of those tackles where you meet the player at the same time she goes to touch the ball.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I tackled her, and it was pretty firm tackle. And she just went – she toppled over and just went face-first into the ground. And I remember you could hear a pin drop in practice, and everybody was, like, <laughs> shocked. It's like, how the hell does a coach do that? <laughs> but I was – you know, I was new to 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 uh, coaching. You know, on a full time basis, I was just I was still playing. You know, a couple months earlier, so it was interesting. Uh, but you know, I I, I think <laughs> I think the players were a little shocked. But then I had a I had a great relationship with my players that year, and you know, uh, together I I felt we uh, we put a good season together. And then
0: after, you know, missing out on that that championship game, just yeah. a few weeks later was the, the big announcement that you guys were trading away Allie Wagner for yeah. Angela Hughes and several other players. I remember it was like, you know blockbuster trade which of course then totally got overshadowed by the league folding but talk about talk about a a decision to make more changes right like that's got to be so hard for a coach to trade away a number one draft pick who did make a difference but you were I'm, i'm assuming you were looking like long term
2: yeah, um, the, the biggest thing is, and, and people don't realize the story behind that trade, is that um, we had throughout that first year while Allie was playing for us, and she definitely made a difference. Allie was a good player. Uh, this is no knock on her at all um, at the time. Uh, but we had been talking to the agent of the best player that came into the game in, in years to come. And that was no one other than Marta. So we had uh, pretty much secured a deal with Marta and knew that she, we, we we could get her. And, uh, you know, this was, Marta was still unknown. She was at the time, I think, still 18 or 19 years old. Right. But, uh, but I had talked to a few of the... Um, us national team coaches that had played against her and they were ranting and raving about her so we we went about trying to get a deal secured with her and we did uh we knew we could get her therefore my my thing was okay if we can get an 18 19 year old who's this good and by all means she was the player that you know obviously you know what marta did later on but we we had an idea that that's what we were getting. So, uh, at that time, it, it was an easy decision, as much as you can think of it as a difficult decision. But at that time, it became easy because we also were getting in an Angela Hucles, uh, the player I felt that we were missing in, in on the team, whether she played as a six or an eight box to box. She had she she had one of the best engines in the game and I thought that she could really help our midfield. And then obviously Marta being there, she would um you know solve a lot of our attacking problems. So the the deal was was really good for us. Unfortunately, people, you know, didn't really know the uh the story behind the deal and, and right. the fact that we were getting Marta. So it, there was a lot of criticism uh, directed towards our franchise, myself. And it wasn't, it's not important. But I remember actually going over to a national team uh, training session, in, at, which was held at UCLA, and April was the coach at the time. And I right. remember walking through the gate, and April kind of looked at me and said, what you, like, sort of she, her face was like, what are you thinking? Like She was talking about the trade. <laughs> And, uh, you know, obviously, you know... The, You're you like, know, the score, I have a
0: plan. I just can't yeah, tell you the rest of it yet. Yeah, there was a plan in
2: place. Uh, it's, uh, it was a difficult decision in a way because obviously we, I had developed a relationship with Ali, and I think uh, it was a good relationship and, and Ali would have definitely helped us had she stayed. There's no doubt about that. But I felt we were getting better, yeah, all around better, not only in the attacking phase of the game, but also... Uh, overall, with Angela coming into the fold, uh, we were just going to become a better team.
0: And you know, it's it's like the story that we just didn't get to see play out, right? Like the yeah. the San Diego Spirit two thousand four would have been incredible to watch because Marta, you know, a month later played in her first World Cup and was yep. definitely definitely impactful. Um, but of course, you know, the the league folded a month later, and so from there, you you know, you went back to being player coach for, for several indoor teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but 2010, you got sucked back into the women's soccer landscape. Yeah. So, so talk about getting that call from Marsha McDermott at the Chicago Red Star saying, hey, we fired our coach. We want you to be a coach.
2: Yeah, so... Um- <laughs> If I remember correctly, so yeah, as you said, i uh, so when when the UWSA folded, it was like okay, so what do I do next? And then obviously, indoor teams, and I had a lot of success indoors as a player and as a coach. So indoor teams came calling, and I made a few stops there. Back I went back to playing in Cleveland, and then in Cleveland I became the coach, and then Cleveland folded, and I went to St. Louis, and then St. Louis folded, and. and Throughout that time, I took both teams to the finals of the league. Uh, So, again, uh, successful times. But then um, I was in New Jersey coaching a new franchise in New Jersey when uh, Charlie Namo, uh, who you you probably know, uh, was working as a um, technical director alongside with Marsha. And I had known Charlie from my time in New Jersey uh we had met a few times and i think charlie had recommended that marsha talk to me and marsha had known me from the wsa days so we spoke and uh you know i was uh in 2000 yeah 2010 the the um the new jersey team i was coaching had gone under and that was the story of my life every team that i coached went under <laughs> but but uh um it's Marsha uh, a, had a ticket waiting for me if I wanted to take the job, and I, I decided I'm going to go for it. So I left my family behind. There was like three months left into the season, and I moved to Chicago. And uh, again, I had a great time in Chicago. Every time I've coached women, it's been really, really pleasant and, and uh, with a lot of joy. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time in women's soccer. Now, you coached
0: a, a fairly young Megan Rapinoe at Chicago, as well yeah. as a, a rookie, Jessica McDonald, both of whom were members of the 2019 championship team last summer. Yeah, Did you see their potential back then?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jessica was, uh, you know, athletic as all hell. And, you know, she she needed a little bit of refinement in her her game. Uh, Megan was just this brash young girl who technically was great. I I thought I thought that, you know, Tactically, she could be better, but you know we worked um, with both of them, and I, and I felt towards the end of that season the, they both had a good understanding of what I was asking uh, for uh, of them, and um, that that season really ended up on a really positive note for us. We didn't make the playoffs. We were so far behind when I took over that, even though we made a push, we fell like one or two points short, if I remember correctly, but. I remember we we ended up the game, the uh, the season on a three game winning streak and one of the one of the wins was a four one win over Philadelphia which was one of the top teams coached by right. Paul Riley yeah right that's got to feel good even in yeah retrospect. it felt really good and I was really <laughs> excited about going back to Chicago but then unfortunately the WPS folded as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and that season you you coached a lot of internationals. You had both uh Formiga and Christian from Brazil on the roster. You know, like Formiga is still playing. Yeah, you know, know. all this time later. It's amazing. Know, it's amazing. Uh, the she records that she has and and Christian has, you know, and there were players from the UK and Sweden. So, you know, what was it like managing players from such different backgrounds?
2: You know, the, the it's it, it's not it's not so difficult, you know the the language is the same, you know it's the football or soccer language, so you know you sort of you know foriga and Christian both were very limited in their English, but you know they had a lot of help with their teammates um so the the message would somehow get translated or they would understand what I'm saying. I had no issues um the one that was sort of like challenging was uh Kosovare, if i'm saying it right. Mm-hmm. Aslani, yeah. Uh-huh. She was young and she was very sort of um I think she was like the best young player to come out of Sweden, so very sort of arrogant and not not so coachable at the time. Although later on in that season she became a lot better. But um with uh with the other the english girls karen karen um uh, was it carney oh,
0: yeah and,
2: and and chapman they were they were pros uh the two brazilians were good um it was a it was a good environment chicago good team they just they just didn't taste uh, success as uh, very much and then towards the end of the season they really felt the energy and i i felt it too and we were really excited about going back to next season because we also had the second draft, second uh, pick in the draft, and it was at the time it was either Alex Morgan or um, Kristen Press. They, they were the two top two picks. Nice. <laughs> so you know we knew we were getting something that was going to help our team.
0: Now, how how do you think the game has changed um, since you know since you coached in in women's soccer, which at this point you know almost almost ten years ago.
2: Well, I mean, just like anything else, the game has evolved even more. Uh, it's become faster, so game speed is is higher. Uh, the the tactics are more, a lot more sophisticated. Just like the men's game is much more sophisticated now, women's game has also changed. You know, I think the change that you saw when you know, back in uh, in two thousand early 2000s when Guardiola became the coach of Barcelona and, you know, all of a sudden football became this game of possession and, you know, the tiki-taka that Barcelona was playing. I think that whole philosophy carried over to both the men's and the women's game. And you see teams playing out of the back a lot more than, than in the past. Uh, in the past, some teams played unbelievably direct. I remember San Jose was direct and they were looking to, you know, find the second ball and, you know, sort of start their offense that way. Um, I always try to play, but, you know, today my philosophy is, has changed so much. Um, uh, you know, I uh, like the way that that the Dutch teams, the Barcelona teams played over the years. And that's sort of how I model my teams when I coach.
0: And then how much did you follow uh, the Women's World Cup last summer?
2: Uh, You know, just like anybody else watching games on TV. uh, I wasn't glued to it, but I I watched quite a few games. I had a lot of interest. I had been working with those girls, uh, with Tom Cermani. I spent a few months assisting Tom with the national team. And even when Jill came on, I spent maybe one or two camps with Jill. And then I, I uh, sort of took a different route and went and started coaching with the U-20 national team with TAB. And
0: so, of course, with with TAB Ramos coming on to the Dynamo, I guess that seemed like a, a logical move for yeah. you for you to make. Did, did it pique your interest at all that uh, when the Dynamo opportunity came about, you're like, hey, they've got a women's team? <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, the, you know, that that's always there, and you see that, the, you know, that, you know, obviously, I have an interest in women's soccer, having worked in it in the league a couple of times. So, yeah, it, it's definitely something that I that I noticed that, you know, there's a there's a team here in Houston, um, but the decision was more, you know, based on the fact that I had been working the last the last six years with Tab, and we have a good understanding with each other. You know, he trusts me, and uh, you know our our working relationship is a is a great one, and you know I uh, if he asked me to go over to the next planet and work with him, I would go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's always great to hear. Well, yeah. Amit, thank you so much for taking the time to to wander down WOSO memory lane with me. I always appreciate hearing memories from the WSA and WPS
2: era. Yeah, it was some good times. I, I really enjoyed it, and and thanks for having me.
0: Time to wrap it up with the back four. Um, Even though we don't have live soccer right now, at least live women's soccer, there's lots of great content coming from NWSL and U.S. Soccer and other outlets these days, including live interviews, match replays, trivia games, and more. Make sure you're following both NWSL and USWNT on Twitter and or Facebook to make sure you get all of the greatest content. I know it might seem weird to be following U.S. Soccer, uh, if you're someone that is really supporting the, the US women's lawsuit, but keep in mind the more popularity that is shown for the US women's national team, the stronger their arguments are. And of course, you should check out the She Believes virtual network via USsoccer.com for the special content being offered next week that I talked about in my chat with Kay Bradley. And it looks like FIFA will finally decide who gets to host the 2023 Women's World Cup. Uh, the announcement will be made late uh, in June. And mark your calendars both the U17 and U20 Women's World Cups that were scheduled for this year have been pushed back to 2021. And if you need some WOSO content other than MWSL and US soccer uh, to tide you over until we have live soccer matches, just check out all the really old games <laughs> that I've posted on my YouTube channel, which is called Woso Nostalgia. I've got a lot of really old uh, US Women's games uh, plus some W WUSA games as up there as well. And speaking of Woso Nostalgia, please, if you do have old women's soccer videos on VHS, um, and you would like them converted to digital. I will do that for you. I will convert your file to a DVD and also a digital file and send you the DVD and digital file. Um, And then that way I can have the digital to post on YouTube to share with other people. So if you have any old WSA, WPS, US soccer, Canada soccer, women's games, old Euro games, um please email me keeper at keepernotes.com. I know out there in everybody's basement is a box of dusty VHS tape. So look through that box. And if you've got something, email me keeper at keepernotes.com. All right. That's it for this episode of the Mix zone women's soccer podcast. I uh, want to thank everyone who listens to the podcast, everyone who subscribes or shares it with a friend. And most of all, many thanks to Sean and the beautiful game network for making this podcast possible.
2: But now she's everybody's girl. Do you know she's everybody's girl?